It's me, Mario! Hello! Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, Volume 3, Issue 117. You can play along with Cane and Rinse Volume 3 and our next five issues will be Demon's Souls, Manhunt and Manhunt 2, then it's Parappa the Rapper, I'm Jamalami, and Parappa the Rapper 2. After that we return to Mario with Super Mario Sunshine, and then it's Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, which... Uh, if rumours are to be believed, is going to be a PlayStation Plus game around that time, with uh, oh. great fortuitousness once again. Head to canerinse.com for the full schedule, the blog, links to our forum, the merchandise store, our Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and YouTube. And as always, please subscribe, review, and or rate us on iTunes. Now, joining me, Leon Lakitu-Cox, in this issue we have Tony Thwomp Atkins. Hello. Darren Grindelgarget. I love Grindles. And Carl Klepto Moon. I love stealing. <laughs> he loves stealing. He's a klepto. That's nothing to do with the character in the game. That's just what we call him. He's like a magpie. Super Mario 64, then. This is one of those big ones, a sacred cow. It's the sort of game where people say apologize if they've never played it or they apologize if they never liked it and all that boring stuff. Um, we're just going to talk about the game and uh, what it means to us, whether we liked it, have we been back to it, did we enjoy it? Um, but starting off... Back in 1990, depending, um, <laughs> probably seven. Please insert here. Yeah, Carl Moon, um, did you get an N64 day one? Did it come with Super Mario 64? What happened? For the longest time, I almost tried to ignore it. It was getting a lot of press. You know, even our mainstream TV shows like Games Master were covering the game from Japan. Um, you know, we, we'd all seen Violet Berlin go out and... I tried to stay away from this, even though at the time I was what, 12 and 13 years old, I was I was madly into my PlayStation, but it really looked really good, and I was a huge fan of, obviously, the, the SNES games, so as, as time went on, I'd done quite a good job, and we were quite fortunate that my local news agents used to carry in um, EGM from America, so I used to mm. get that every so yeah. often, and they had this big issue on Mario 64, and this, this must have been... February issue, so it'll have been it'll have been the March issue in February. So uh, my father at the time was quite into his games. You know, he he was loving um, the PlayStation as well, and and he'd had a couple of reads of it, and he kept saying, "Oh, you know that Mario looks quite good, doesn't it?" You know, and we'd we'd be having a laugh and be reading this issue, and as, as time went on, it started being like we probably should have you know pre-ordered one of these, <laughs> and we eventually saw a video and it was uh, one of the moments where Mario's jumping through the paintings and it was just one of those things of, you know, wow, how good is that? So I didn't think anything of it. It was the morning of the uh, of the, of the release of Mario 64 and I was just sort of laying in bed. I was actually reading uh, the magazine, reading the reviews for the likes of Mario and Pilot Wings. Um, and uh, my father had gone out shopping. Uh, you know, I'd, I just ended up playing games on the PlayStation and... Several hours later, he comes back in, you know, plays it Mr. Cool. I don't think anything of it. And then uh, he just says, oh, yeah, got you one of these today. And it's an it's an N64 with uh, oh, wow. with Mario 64 and 
Um, you did the whole thing like the kid on. You were that kid on <laughs> the Nintendo. I, I was the Nintendo 64 kid. I just, you know, I changed my name. I wasn't Carl Moon back then. Um, the, the story goes that he'd actually gone to uh, the game store for launch. Um, it was actually Electronics Boutique at the time. Uh, yeah. And the, the, he was asking people in the queue because he didn't have a pre order ticket. And he eventually came across a guy who was a bit on the fence. He was trading in his Sega Saturn and a whole bunch of games. And the guy was, you know, he didn't really want to trade it in. He was like, well, I don't know how much they're going to give me. And you always have that, you know, thing where if you trade something in, you're going to get screwed on price. Buyers are so, great. Mm. So he said, um, <laughs> he said, I'll tell you what, I'll sell you my ticket, my pre order ticket. Um, he said the idea was he was going to trade the Saturn in in the morning and then go back in later on the night, you know, when when the queue wasn't so manic in there. Mm. So he said, well, if you drive me home, I'll, you know, I'll get you my ticket. Uh, you can give me the cash and, and then you can go and get it. So my dad agreed. He dropped him off, bought his pre-order ticket, went back, got the console and, and walked out as a dear one owner of an N64. Darren, um, were you an importer? Of an N sixty four? No, they they were too, they were far too expensive to yeah. even consider buying one in our country, let alone from a different one. So, right, yeah, I was very late to the N sixty four. I remember okay. travelling to Northampton with my mum. Uh, I persuaded her to trade. I said, "Mum, can I trade in my PlayStation for an N sixty four? And you know, she's like, "That was a Christmas present. You don't respect." Yeah. La, la, la. And so <laughs> we ended up, you know, the, the power of nagging and persuasion uh, won, and we were in Northampton uh, in in a place called Games World, I think it was called. It specified in, in imports, which is where I sort of caught my first glimpse of importing games and stuff. It was sort of like a bit, you know, it was a bit new to me. And I was like, oh, look, what's it? Human Grand Prix on the N64. What is, what is a human Grand Prix? That doesn't even make any sense. And um, so I was like, oh, how much you give me for the N64? I mean, this PlayStation, sorry, for an N64. And luckily it all worked out fine. Like, you know, we could do a trade with the games that I had. I was like, oh, do we have Mario 64? They're like, but... Don't be silly. And I was just like, oh, well, okay. I'll have to get Mario Kart and wave racing. Oh, God, mm. doing the old shopping teenager <laughs> thing. Nah, and, um, and it wasn't until like maybe a year later that I ended up buying Mario 64 off a friend. Wow. Um, Will Mann, he's one of my, my long serving friends that I've known for, well, to this very day, actually. So I bought his copy for £35. And, you know, Nintendo 64 games weren't cheap ever. Mm. You know what I mean? So £35. For a, for a second-hand copy, Mint. Uh, yeah, I bought it off him. Uh, I'd, I'd seen loads of it. Uh, one of my friends had the, the Japanese import one. I'd seen a lot, enough of it then. Um, and yeah, I'd seen a lot of it on Games Master. I'd seen a lot of it, and I just wanted it. And it, it just never really came never really came around like, you know, with, with as much urgency as I wanted it, wanted it to. So I'd seen a lot of the game beforehand, uh, but I didn't really play it until maybe 1998. It's unusual. Um, there were those people I remember um, who were buying N64s because it was the latest, must-have, most powerful piece of gaming tech, and it was by Nintendo. But they didn't like Mario. You know, this does. Have, we still hear this a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not into Mario, not into Zelda. Don't don't really dig Nintendo first-party stuff. They were buying an N64 to play Turok Dinosaur Hunter and, and Shadows of the Empire. <laughs> and why wouldn't you? Um, which you know, it seemed absolutely bizarre to me. But mm-hmm. um, but but they were out there. However, you were, a, as we know from our previous Mario issues, you were a big Mario fan. So to mm-hmm. wait until 98 when the game had already been out for two years um must have been somewhat agonizing but then i suppose in those days as we again as we previously discussed we were used to waiting crazy long Mm -hmm. time for for mario games to arrive so perhaps it made it all the sweeter we'll find out tony what about you you were uh you were slightly older you're slightly older than carl aren't you so you'd have been what 16 at this point seven yeah 16 17 17, yeah yeah 
March. Yeah, just about to turn 17 months time. This is quite funny because obviously I've not been on the earlier Mario shows. Uh, no. Normally we do a big series and I try to jump on the very beginning and run through them from there. But there's a lot of people with a lot of fun memories of the Mario games and it, it seemed wrong for me to take a place on uh, a series that I actually didn't have fun memories of up until Mario 64. Um Mario 64 was actually the first Mario game I played to completion in a kind of proper style. This is my copy of Mario. Um, Mario 64 is that game. That's that's my my you know jump on point with um, with the Mario series. So it's later than most, and oddly because of my age, it really should be a you know a lot sooner. But this is the game that I went. Oh my god, this is incredible. Where has where have I been not playing Mario all my life? So. Um, I, be- I, f- I believe I was day one. I, it's really, I can't remember if I got my N64 day one. Mm. I remember um, specifically uh, in, I think it was Virgin, Virgin or HMV. I can remember, never remember where it was in Croydon, but they, they had a uh, a TV up in the corner where they used to just run a, a loop video of Mario 64 uh, up and towards the launch of the, the N64 and just staring at that for hours, even though I owned a PlayStation at this point because... I was just really starting to work, so I had money of my own. So nothing was going to stop me from purchasing these brand new consoles that, you know, my parents unfortunately didn't have the money to to splash out on over the years. So I was going to buy that console, and I, was, you know, I already had a, a Sony PlayStation. But I, I remember seeing the 3D visuals and just going, "That's incredible! I've never seen anything as solid, as sharp as you know." For for the N64 to say as sharp is is kind of funny now, <laughs> but you know, anything as as you know, 3D polygon, it, it was just incredible. So, Yeah, um, well, I obviously came to Mario quite late as well, um, as, as we previously mm. talked about, although I did play the original arcade version of Super Mario Brothers in the arcades um, when I was in my teens. I didn't start playing them at home until 94, so I was already in my 20s at that point. So at this stage, I'd only been... When, Super Mario, when the hype for Super Mario 64 started in sort of 95 time, I'd only been into Mario a year and a half, two years, something like that. But obviously, I had mixed feelings because it was hugely exciting that Nintendo were going to be making these, um, you know, 3D games. But also, I, you know, I was a massive fan of 2D gaming. Still am to this day. Here we are, 20 something years later. And I was concerned that all games were going to go down this 3D route. And actually, I didn't necessarily want that to happen because... I'd grown up with 3D games being a very different sort of thing. They tended to be slow. They tended to be jerky. Um, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't envisaged what people could do. And, and I had, although I was excited, I was also concerned that it would be the death of games like Super Mario World. Of course, as it turns out, we now can't move for, for wonderful <laughs> 2D games again, which, which, I, which I love. But equally, obviously, Super Mario 64 ended up going on to have quite a legacy of its own. Mm. Um, but yes, Electronics Boutique indeed, as Carl said, the predecessor to game the, uh, that came after uh, game zone, Future Zone, Game Zone, then it became Electronics Boutique, and the N64 was the first ever console that I pre-ordered. Um, I put down £100 or something of the, the... The RRP was initially 250 It came down quite quickly to, to 150 I think, um, or 200 possibly. Um, I already had, I still, you know, I had my Saturn, I'd only had that a few um, since the previous summer, I had my PlayStation, still had my 16-bit consoles on the go, and even my Amiga, but I had to have this, Um, you know, this was, uh, if nothing else, I mean, I've been reading the magazines, like Maximum did a massive spread on it, um, 
And of course, there was the famous uh, Games Master Christmas special with Dave, the unstoppable games animal, mm-hmm. Perry getting upset <laughs> because he he tried he attempted the shortcut on the cool uh, <clears throat> uh, cool mountain slide and failed and uh, had a hissy fit. It's still out there on YouTube. <laughs> stitched him up. They stitched him up. Brilliant. Well, that's what he says. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's because they all hated him. Um, yes. Yeah, so I turned up at Electronics Boutique at midnight. I think it was. It wasn't the first time I been to that shop at midnight i think i've been there for a couple of ps1 game launches like tekken 2 maybe had already come out yeah and um formula one things like that but it was exciting there was a buzz i borrowed a rucksack off my girlfriend at the time to uh, load my precious cargo <laughs> and indeed i was so concerned about being uh, mugged on the way back that i got a taxi which is something i never do um got home with uh, Su- uh super mario 64 and pilot wing 64 at about 1 a.m and uh, didn't stay up super crazy late like a couple of hours um and i had to wait like until i got paid again before i could afford shadows of the empire and turok um <laughs> blew quite a lot of money on those but yeah i remember it was for some reason they were selling they were selling super mario 64 for 49.99 i think it was and pilot wing or was it no pilot wings was 49.99 and mario 64 was 59.99 possibly but yeah it was like it was 360 quids worth of gear in my backpack which in the mid 90s yeah. was a lot of money chunk of money yeah um yeah and i was still working in a I think, yeah, I was still working in a burger bar at that point, so I wasn't exactly flush with cash. But uh, yes, the the initial moments of booting up the the console for the first time, the big Mario head appears, and yeah, you're just you were just there, sucked in. Obviously, as I say, you know, this was these were not this was not a childish experience for me because I was already in my twenties. But actually, you know, it made me feel like a, a an excited kid, and that's that's what I was after, really. So obviously this was by Nintendo's first party, first team, Nintendo EAD with Shigeru Miyamoto directing and producing and Koji Kondo making the music. Um, June 96 in Japan, September 96 in the US, and we got an inferior version, yes, in March 1997. <laughs> slightly slower, slightly bordered, um, although it was optimized compared to some of the other N64 games like Pilot Wings and Wave Race, which were shockingly bordered. Um, and we could only run it through a composite cable. Even if it was a SCART, it was still a composite signal. You couldn't have RGB SCART from a European machine. Um, so it, it, even, you know, N64 stuff, uh, notorious for looking a bit uh, grainy and fuzzy, and it, it, we had the worst of that in, in Europe. But it still was eye-poppingly gorgeous despite that even though i knew i knew i knew there were better there were there were you know i kind of wanted an ntsc one but i think importers darren you mentioned like importers were i think they were charging when the n64 first came out i think it was they were talking you were looking at like eight or nine hundred pounds for a console as i recall yeah and not only that a tv that could could deal with those kind of signals as well not turn Mm. it black and white like it wasn't quite as as, that's right quite as simple so yeah that's right yeah um, worth mentioning in passing that uh, there was a re-released version in Japan the year after, which was uh, some of the some of the uh, there was some, as with Super Mario World there were some tweaks made to the US version because it came out after um, some additional speech and and various little bits and bobs, but they re-released that version in Japanese uh, as uh, Shindu the version which also featured Rumble Pack uh, hmm. compatibility. Um, so that's yeah, that's a version to seek out. Um, and uh, now I wasn't even potentially going to mention this. I put it here uh, just out of pure curiosity. But then, before we started recording, I noticed that 
Darren Gargett actually has one of these, an, an IQ player. Yeah. Uh, so this is a Chinese uh, handheld console. Well, handheld is handheld in that it, the whole console is the controller. Mm-hmm. It's one of those plug into the TV things. Project with a Japanese company, uh, sorry, a Chinese company and Nintendo. Came out in 2003. Um, it comes pre-installed with at least one N64 game, doesn't it? I think, yeah, I think or, it comes with Star Fox. Yeah, could be wrong. Um, and you can... Uh, how does it work? You've got one. Tell us about it. <laughs> oh, I've never got it working because my, oh. my step-down doesn't allow... Because uh, it, I've got a step-down for Japanese units. And, Power, yeah. Yeah, um, the step-down doesn't work at all really for the uh, for the Chinese model so I don't know how it you works you haven't blown it up <laughs> no, the, the power comes on but no, it doesn't it, it refuses to stay on which is a which is a bit frustrating but yeah oh. um, to hold the controller it feels like a Dreamcast pad but with, um, with an N64 analog stick on the left hand side and you know your buttons on the uh, on the right hand side it's got like a memory card slot in the back um, kind of like the N64 pad did but in a more Dreamcast fashion and yeah, you went into shops, if I remember rightly, when all the news was happening when this first came out. You go into Chinese stores and you were to download the games onto cartridge through these store vendors, uh, slash computers, I guess. And uh, yeah, you were to just pick and choose your favourite Nintendo games on the IQ and then take the cartridge home and have a whale of a time. Did you, did you have to pay for these games? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I never did, obviously, because I'm not in China. Yeah. But uh, yeah, um, yeah. You had to pay like a small fee, I think. I don't think they were full price. I think it was like Nintendo's, uh, you know, trying to breach that market in any way possible. And I, I don't think it worked. But I don't even remember buying it. It was just like, <laughs> it, was, it was on the show nights. And I was like, I've got one of them. And I've opened it twice. And I've never dared to open it again because I don't want to ruin it. We'll mention the DS version um, now, I think. Um, I've only ever played, played it briefly. So this could, say that again. I've only ever played this briefly. It came out, weirdly, it started off in North America in 2004. Mm. It took three years almost before it was out in all regions. It came out in South Korea and China in 2007. Um, The thing I remember about this, uh, I think perhaps one of gaming's forgotten things is the fact that when you first bought an original DS fat, the the grey one that Mm. looked a bit like a prototype model, it came with a weird little thumb device. Yeah. Yeah, a little strap. DS version of Mario 64 was designed to be controlled with this, wasn't it? Yes. It was actually, that was that was how you were supposed to play it, to replicate an analogue mm. control, because of course the DS only had a D-pad. So, uh, who who played this one? Yeah, definitely. I was all over this. I imported, okay. me and the aforementioned Will Man, we both pre-ordered our American uh, DSs with Mario 64, and yeah, utterly just blown away by the console. Uh, the thumb strap thing you mentioned, uh, when, you, mm. when you put your thumb on the on the on the on the touch screen. It had like a little radius, like a like a green, yellow, red radius to let you know how far you should be pushing your thumb to make Mario run into the red, yellow, green. So it's sort of like a <laughs> like a traffic light system there. So like you mm. know, you, you, you sort of well in in a reverse way, like you sort of want to keep push your thumb towards the red to make him run, but then like closer to the green to make him stop and stuff like that. So you know, when you put your thumb on it, like a circle would appear on the screen so you could see it at all times. And it, you know, it, it didn't work very well. You, you soon gravitated back towards the D-pad, even though the game was right. an analog game, you mm. know, on the N64. But yeah, playing as all the different characters was weird. Yeah, there were a few changes, weren't there? So you could uh, play as Luigi and who else? Wario, Wario and Yoshi as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, and there were completely different stars, as I found when when I uh, on the N64 recently when I played it uh, to completion. I I googled 
wet dry world because I hate that place. I want to get through it as quick as possible. <laughs> and it brought up Mario 64 star, uh, Mario 64 DS stars. And I was like, right. oh yeah, they're completely different stars now. So yeah, they had completely different <laughs> missions within the levels. Would, would you say it was a good version? Is it one to seek out? I mean, playing it with the D-pad, I always imagined would be horribly frustrating in certain areas. It's it, it's it's good. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate the fact that they went and changed stuff about it. Like, you know, that they, they saw that the game probably wasn't perfect and they tried to change it in a more fun way. Like people always moaned, you know, spoiler here, but you know, Play, you know, oh, why can't you play as Yoshi in Mario 64? And they they sort of you know fix that with the DS version. So yeah, I I don't think I, it's not my go-to version to play Mario 64, but I you know I I definitely remember having a really good time with it. It definitely didn't play well with the D-pad though. I wasn't a big fan of how it played. Um, yeah, it was the I reason I never picked it up with my DS. I bought a DS at launch as well, and I bought uh, you know I got Wario uh, where uh, with touched and, and things like that. But I wasn't interested in playing Super Mario uh, well I suppose I was tempted but I never got around to picking it up even when it went cheap just the thought of playing some of those sections with a D-pad just put me it's right funny, off it's funny it sold me on the system uh, and, I, oh, okay. and I brought one with a copy of Mario 64 and uh, yeah. probably played it for about two hours uh, okay. <laughs> didn't really gel with it and then, then that was that so it was one of those ones where oh well I spent all this money now I mean it did a couple of things didn't really it with the accelerometer but other than that, it just it didn't feel special enough. It didn't feel, well, yeah, you know, think, it's you know. like when you have that feeling of playing uh, Mario sixty four with the N sixty four controller. Mm. You, you always felt really connected using the the stick to Mario. You always felt in complete mm. control, and on, uh, you just, it didn't feel that way. It didn't feel that special connection. Uh, it almost felt like it was one of the the knockoff versions of it, where it just wasn't quite as perfect and on point. The reason I was so gung ho about it was it really still was at a time where we weren't getting these, you know, re-release of games on other platforms and stuff. So it felt really interesting to be able to play you know, Mario sixty four on a completely different platform than what it would have been on, you know, whether it's just emulated on the PC. So it was exciting to play it on a platform yeah. that was on a handheld to see how powerful that handheld was. Because oh yeah, I still at the time really, you know, really rated Mario sixty four's graphics. Yeah, I mean, this was only yeah the le- less than a decade after the N sixty four version had come out over here, two thousand five. So it was it was it, it was at that point we we'd just come you know from the Game Boy Advance, um, which was you know still yeah. playing SNES like games. So so to be looking at a handheld console which not only played a, a version of an N sixty four game, you know, full three D polygons, but in some way I think it was. I think the polygons were slightly lower overall, but it had some enhanced visuals, like mm. the snow looked better and stuff like that. Um, but it, yeah, it was Im- impressive. I guess it was a good tech demo. But did you do it all, Darren? Did oh, you do... of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nintendo nice. fanboy run rampant. Yeah, uh, you definitely acclimatised to the D-pad. I remember that much. Like you do get used to it, mm. and I, I just seem to remember there not being as many problems as what you'd think there would be. Um, I remember the system being particularly popular with um, the people around me because it had a bunch of mini games on there that Nintendo were wanting to do back in the day, like a bunch of touchscreen tech demo mini games. Mm-hmm. And there was one where you had to find Luigi's face in a bunch of like other right. Mario things. And yeah. people li- really wanted to borrow my DS just for that, <laughs> that alone. They're like, mm. "Can I try and get a high score on that Luigi face thing?" And you're like, "Yeah, there you go." And like people who never play games, like I think it was like might have been like a proto- prototype of a, like an iOS game or something where like. It was like, you know, just, yeah, just give me it. I want to play it for 10 minutes. And then, you know, 
Um, I think this date frightens me more than some of the others, actually. The, but the virtual console version came out on the Wii in 2006. <laughs> That's <laughs> approaching eight years ago now. Um, yeah, seven over seven years ago since the... the that's the version I've been playing again uh, now because I don't have an N64 anymore. I've been playing it with a uh, Classic Controller Pro and actually, um, yeah, finding it very good. It, it doesn't feel quite the same as holding that central prong mm. with, with, with your thumb on the on the Classic N64 stick that was, you know, supposedly that, that, that controller was designed around the game and vice versa. But um, but it, it, it works surprisingly well. And so I'm playing it through the Wii U um, Wii um, so it's coming, it, it, you know, it's, it's this Very weird weak. kind of, yeah, this weird kind of chaining that's going on. Um, but actually, yeah, it, it works fine. It's, um, you know, it's the PAL version emulated, um, but it looks quite, it looks quite crisp and um, yeah, it looks better than I remember it in a way, but it also looks worse than I remember it in, in, mm. in terms of its age. Mm -hmm. But, um, but it's certainly a, a fine way to play it. And at least until they bring it out on Wii U and hopefully we'll get the NTSC version, which would be tops. Um, the game sold an extraordinary 6.91 million in North America, um, by far the most uh, of any territory. It sold 2.85 in Europe, 1.91 in Japan, and 0.23 over the rest of the world, totaling just under 12 million units sold. Um, that's a lot of units. It was never actually bundled in, though, was it? You no. always had to buy it. You always had to it's very much the definition of a must-have launch title. <laughs> so uh, one thing I just wanted to do quickly is bust the myth that this was the first ever 3D platformer, because um, it wasn't. Um, people, you hear it said, people sort of say it like it was, but it wasn't. Um, there was an arcade machine called iRobot in 1983, which featured uh, full solid shaded polygons and had a platform element. And then there was uh, Geograph Seal, which I'd never heard of until recently, <laughs> but it was basically, it was the game, it was the game that um, became Jumping Flash on the PlayStation um, by a Japanese, a, a pair of Japanese teams called Exact and Ultraco mm. um, for the Sharp X 68000. But people do remember Jumping Flash, yeah, I think. Yeah, played that a lot. What a game. First person. Yeah. Yeah, and it got a sequel um, and that was released um, even over here by Sony on the PlayStation in 95. And Guinness, uh, Guinness actually give that as the the uh, world record holder as the first true 3D platformer, but I don't think that's that's accurate. Oh, Jumpy Flash was, was really quite Ja I want to say jag jaggy, but you know it wasn't wasn't smooth in any way. Every but, jump yeah. was was bitty, and uh, mm -hmm. it was very hard to control. But you were a giant ro uh, bunny that jumped mm -hmm. everywhere. It, it was kind of crazy and mental and very interesting to play. But it was probably more of a forerunner to Metroid Prime yeah. than, um, mm -hmm. than than Mario, but but still worth mentioning. Um, and another game that's worth mentioning, although it came out after Super Mario 64, is Croc Legend of the Gobbos, uh, which I always came, felt came, came across like a terrible Mario knockoff, actually started life as a pitch to Nintendo from Argonaut when they were still working um, as a 3D platformer starring Yoshi. That's incredible. Uh, yeah. Uh, and that game sold a lot of copies yeah. it, because there were so many Playstations um, around, and less so Saturns, um, that you know, people who wanted a Super Mario 64-esque experience ended up with Croc, Legend of the Gobbos, and then, of course, later, Spyro and, and Crash and things like I that. I had but, many a uh, playground argument with a friend over Croc who swore that that was a better game than my Mario 64. Um, and the other myth, that the uh, the N64, the Ultra 64, was nowhere near the first console with an analogue stick either. Um, there were there were consoles around in, even in the mid-70s with analogue sticks. Um, and even if people don't remember the Prinz Tronic, Ace Tronic, Intertron series, 
um, which had analog sticks. And people may be familiar with the Vectrex, which also had analog inputs. But Nintendo brought it back and popularized it. There's no question about that. Uh, Super Mario 64 was released to widespread critical acclaim. Um, received the first uh, Edge magazine in this country, 10 out of 10, that they'd awarded after almost three years in circulation. This, you know, this really was um, absolutely, you know, uh, lavished with praise across the board. I don't think there was even a kind of deliberately contrary um, review to be found. Um, it was, it was just not met with with glee probably marked the debut of charles martinet saying talking for mario yeah yeah i think yeah i don't think he was around before that was he hmm i don't remember but I, there is a great interview with him um somewhere on the internet you can google it about him auditioning for the role of mario uh you know how, how the, initially i think nintendo wanted a, a more traditional sort of new york uh yeah. like a plumber man like you know a bit mm. rough. and then after like mm. so many people he came in and just gave his uh, his own little spin on it, which is Mario as well as we know it today, and they went for that instead. It's not Bob Hoskins. <laughs> no, it's a me, Mario. And there is the big, there is the big malleable face, coded by legendary um, Giles Goddard. Oh, who, uh, yeah, <laughs> that that image and that sound is so imprinted in my brain. I remember like walking oh. around Milton Keynes shopping centre. And walking past HMV, and they had demo units on, and that noise you could hear over most noises, uh, kind of like how Daytona was in the arcades. We just heard that Daytona. You're like, well, that's a Daytona machine. This was like you could hear the sort of like the glimmer of the coin or the star, and then it goes, "It's a me, Mario." You know, you, that kind of like you could hear that at a mile off. I don't know if that's my, my gamer sense kicking in, like, oh, I can hear Mario noises. I must run immediately there. But yeah, um, watching demos of that face being pulled around that was absolute yeah. magic i mean even recall if i was to ask to be recalled back to what i would didn't be my first true next gen moment i would probably have to say the, the moment i was just you know you, you look forward to playing mario 64 and then you spend 20 minutes pulling his face all over the screen <laughs> i still uh, i still get a kick out the fact that you can um hold several yeah. bits of his face yeah. in position mm -hmm. by holding the r trigger down and uh make him into the sort of most deformed looking freak you can before letting his face ping back still happens still still distracts me when i boot the game up to this day mm. i don't know why one of, uh, one of the cool things of the ds version is that it had more faces than just mario you had yoshi wario uh, yeah and you could turn them into little stencil sort of um sketch drawings and pull the sketches around of their like outlined faces mm -hmm. so you had like yoshi pencil drawing on your screen you could sort of you know mess around with it and pull his face apart that way instead of polygons and the other voice you hear at the start of the game, not in the Japanese version, but in the Western versions, is Leslie Swan, former Nintendo Power senior editor, who worked on the localization of the game and um, and provided the voice of Peach. Oh, I can't her. imagine the game without it, you know. Let's dive into the game. Peach's Castle Playground is where you find yourself. Um, you get to basically hop, skip and jump around. Uh, still very difficult to resist doing a few triple jumps before you even <laughs> enter, the, enter the castle. Uh, there's a tree with a one-up that you just you have to climb and then you do the thing where you do a handstand at the top of the tree and the one-up appears and then you press the A button to jump away. And there's a lot of signposts around telling you things you can do and um, it's, yeah, it's, it's like it's the play, it's the safe playground where you can learn this crazy new world of analog controls in a 3D Exquisite space. Exquisite game design to, to allow people, knowing that that's exactly what they were going to do, is try and you know jump into the, the into the moat and, and do the flips and climb trees uh, to sort of get, because obviously it was so different, the, the 3D stick it was 
basically it was an open-ended tutorial um Mm-hmm. And they drew no attention to it. It was just there, and everyone sort of naturally progressed oh, into doing open, it. Open field for you to get to the door. Clearly, Fantastic. the door over there. So you'd, you, you know, you'd have to push at least what five or six seconds before you get anywhere yeah. closer there. So you know, and the tight turning and 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 being able to sort of whip Mario around and stuff. It was, yeah. But it, I, well, it, it's funny. I I remember being blown away by that the first time I did it. But coming back to this game now, and I, and I played it again on the N sixty four. I. I have to admit, I was a bit trepidatious about coming back to mm. to Mario sixty four. Well, there's a mm. lot of talk about. It. Even when we put it on the on the actual, okay, we are doing the Mario series, and then Mario sixty four come up, and I was like, that that's a. And we already talked about Sacred Cows. Like that is a big title right there, <laughs> and it's one that has huge influence on me and many other people. You know, correspondence to the show. Like it's one of those huge, huge titles. And I was, you know, it's been I've kind of dipped in and out of Mario 64. I, I feel like a little bit here and there, but yeah, never, same. never as a proper sit down and play and, and kind of review it in my own mind. How how mm. does it actually play now, 17 years on, which is a, a long yeah. time for any game. Mm. Um, and just that opening again, just turned it on, got past the Mario face. And instantaneously done the free jump and went, I am home. This is mm. brilliant. It controls brilliantly still. And I did the sideways jump. And then I did the, the butt stomp. And then I did the back flip <laughs> and did all those things. And instantaneously, it was 17-year-old Tony is playing Mario 64 again. And the control pad just is perfect for that game. If there ever was a game where you could say, yes, they designed a console. And this control pad was for this console, well, was for this game. Then it has to be for the N sixty four and Mario because it just it literally just feels it's all one on one with Mario and it's still to this day other parts of that game I'm not too sure but that opening area absolutely perfection for me anyway it's the fly by camera uh, scene mm-hmm. beforehand that it really sets the scene as like a the music. You, know, you are in Mario World time like you know uh, you hear the whooshes of like a Lakitu flying around under the bridge over the water and just around over various parts of the front of the castle. And you're just like, oh man, this is this is incredible to look at. And then the old pipe comes out the floor, which you know is a bit un, you know unrealistic for the Mario series for a pipe to pop out of a floor. But mm-hmm. you know it's a Mario game, so you don't really care. And Mario just pops out just automatically, he makes the noise, woohoo! And you're like, oh wow, like it is a genuinely you know groundbreaking moment for uh, for many and, gamers. And it still gets me now, but I can I can remember back then, you know, even as somebody that kind of messed around with 2D Mario seeing Mario in 3D as well rendered as he was and as great looking as he was just yeah. utterly mind blowing and even now like there's been some fantastic Mario games since that but just something about that first image of seeing him in 3D and seeing how kind of spot on they got like height wise mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of squashed more than he probably should be but it just it suits him in the PAL version maybe but that's the version yeah. I played and loved but yeah, yeah they, they seemed and we talk about the, the 10 out of 10s they seemed to just for whatever reason got it spot on first time and for any series to do that with a, such a beloved franchise is yeah. Apparently, it was really only in development incredible. for a couple of years as well. It wasn't like you know, right? We, we, you know, do you remember the hype for the Ultra sixty four? Yeah, it was, God. you know, it was like this is a silicon graphics workstation <laughs> and and all this for for like three years in advance. You know, basically, as soon as Donkey Kong Country came out, it was uh, in ninety four. It was like, yeah, this is what you know, this is what the future is going to be like. Mm. And it was that silicon graphics was the was the buzzword. Um, but actually, yeah, this game wasn't in development for nearly the length a lot that a lot of um, first party Nintendo stuff ends up being and yet 
and yet it was it you know it was so hugely well received and you know at the time i had so few issues with it you know there there were this was one of the first games that gave you control of the camera and they did it with the, with the Lakitu gag they made they made the camera a little person mm -hmm. and that kind of excuses uh, you know he's a character that you're familiar with used to be an enemy not not in this one um and it it almost goes some way to excusing the problems they had with obviously there are points where the camera's behind stuff and, and knocks against stuff and you can't get exactly the right angle. But I've, I've been surprised actually how much control you have got over it, mm. especially once you, there's, you know, there's a, there's a choice of kind of camera modes. It's not just as the simple case of the modern game where you just spin it around as much as you want with the right stick and it never, you know, it's never a problem in, in anything but the most kind of broken games. Um, <clears throat> it's like... Um, you uh, can zoom in. You can put. You can zoom out. You can put knock it around in stages. It would be nice. That would be yeah, the nicest thing if you could actually. If it wasn't incremental angles, it was. It was full analog control. Well, but you can tap the R button to make it into Mario camera mode, and that has more yeah, degrees yeah. of you know camera positioning, mm. which I found a lot very useful for the trickier stages. Yeah, I'd almost forgotten about the, the R button. Yeah, me too, until I pressed yeah. it by accident. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you actually think about this, it, uh, go on about this for a second, but not only were they obviously laying foundations for all pretty much, well, not all future Mario titles, but the way Mario certainly feels like it would develop on it on its home consoles for a good period of time, but actually laying the foundations for really how 3D cameras would work in games. And it was mm. still one that was held up as the best example of a 3D camera for goddamn many, 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 many years. In fact, coming back to now, like I was surprised just how how solid a camera that is, comparatively to how many terrible games I've played with cameras after Mario 64. How they got that camera to be as good as it was, played as well as it does, and the control of Mario as well as it does, on a new system <laughs> at the time, and even say with a, a fairly short period of time in development, it's just mind-boggling it's cost me a few lives uh, in replaying it recently I, I won't i won't deny that there was a there was a point on rainbow ride where i was you know teetering around <laughs> yeah. on that carpet and then suddenly there's a massive block of concrete in the screen and the camera <laughs> won't move left or right yes it has its moments but given uh, obviously in a month's time we'll be talking about super mario sunshine um and there are some moments in that where the camera is demonstrably just substandard it just doesn't work as it should and and that was already after another uh, a number of other teams um had you know probably done a better job even you know like uh, in jack and daxter and, and the banjo kazooie games and things like that um but yeah it's surprising given how old it is how it how functional it is it I, feels like it was the perfect storm of development for that game in such a short period of time and i remember magazine review after magazine review for other games um, and it was constantly, it would constantly reference the Mario 64 camera. Um, and and mm. I think you're right until, I, I've said it many a time, that, that Jack and Daxter was the first game that really came close. I, I don't think it's as good, but it came close because of the camera. And I, I replayed that last year, and, and that does actually have quite a good camera even still. But yeah. that was, you know, I think that, I believe that came some time. Was it 2001? One. Yeah. yeah, so it's... Yeah. You know, you're looking four years, which is yeah. a huge amount of time. In, oh, you'd sort of seen in, some in terrible cameras world. over that period of time, like developers oh. tripping over yeah. simple mistakes. They couldn't, they couldn't figure it yeah. out. So I, I think, you know, because we, we have had a few people saying that, you know, they didn't necessarily gel with Mario 64. Of course. I just 
But for me personally, you got to remember, you know, someone uh, you're still, still at 17 and only on the PlayStation and thinking, yeah, they still, I can see where we're going in this 3D direction. Oh, yeah, it seems okay, I suppose. But I still love my 2D stuff. Mm. Just to see what they, they hit first time round. And I, I thought at that point, the N64 was the machine to have. It was going to be, be the one that, you know, fixed, had all these, you know, that extra power power behind it was going to be you know great cameras and stuff it turned out to be like that was probably its defining moment the first game we released on the console there was some still some great titles to come out but they just hit it out of the ballpark straight away um and you know the industry was i guess chasing chasing that moment for for a good few years but let's talk a little about those graphics uh let's talk about them how they how what we thought about them at the time we've already sort of mentioned it um but yeah I remember, obviously, we'd seen footage, Game Master, and we'd seen screenshots. Um, but having that game at home for the first time, even though I already had a PlayStation, already had a Saturn, these were, you, you know, this was 64-bit, not 32-bit. It's Yeah, it's only on a cartridge, you know. You knew that this game was taking up, this was, you know, made out of a lot less memory than some of the games you'd played on, on CDs, on the, on the PlayStation. But it was the, the, it was the solidity and, and the... And the the depth of the graphics even though the, the draw distance now sometimes leaves a little to be desired <laughs> it was this feeling of being immersed in mario's world you've already said it darren it was extraordinary and i remember um getting friends around just to show them mm-hmm. the entrance to hazy may's cave the shimmery oil oh, pool yeah. and ju- i remember just saying that is the best looking thing i have ever seen it's <laughs> <laughs> just, just mind-blowingly yeah. awesome so yeah seeing mario 64 for the first time was like something that I'll never forget, but um, it's just the way that the whole world sort of feels natural and cohesive. Like the fact that you can just sort of jump into a pool of water and explore underneath, like the things mm. under underneath the you know, underneath the, uh, the the ground. It is like a mind blowing thing to to see. Uh, but but on Battlefield is such an important level because it it has the right tone for a Mario game. You know, like the green hills. Goombas are running everywhere, and you see the old chain chomp at the top of the of the first hill, and you're like. Oh, that's what that looks like in 3D. That's that's incredible, mm. and they've they've, <laughs> they've really nailed it straight away. And then you see like the, you know the, the top of the mountain, and you, your instincts, and because the game told you to, like you know, get to the top of that and fight up a bomb. And again, like seeing one of those things in sort of well, obviously it's a 2D sprite. Um, I think it's a 2D sprite. Anyway, it looks 2D to me. Uh, yeah, and, and just fighting that at the top of the hill, the, the way they structured their levels is so clever because they make you sort of do a seemingly impossible task first to make you get used to the, the level that you're in, you know, jumping through the painting and exploring that level. It's sort of like, you know, fight a boss first. And like, what kind of game normally does that? Like, not a lot of games will ask you to fight a boss first, but... Pretty easy. Like, yeah, as, as typical Nintendo things are, you know, the, the learning curve is, you know, a, a natural, you know, incline to, to a, you know, a rather difficult, uh, difficult six star. But the first one is always like, oh man, I've got to fight this huge boss thing. And, you know, <laughs> like, like, like I say, Tony, it's quite easy, but... The, the idea of fighting it is quite intimidating at first, and that's when you mm-hmm. really have to wrestle with the controls. Like, you know, you, you accidentally flip over the bob you know, b- b- by doing this sort of like, you know, the quick left-right jump maneuver, and you think, oh, hello, we've got some, you've got, got some new moves here. I just think, yeah, um, Bobomb Battlefield, I think, is definitely, it's probably my favourite looking level, just because it, it feels more like Mario than any other level. I just think it was so exciting. It was one of those where, um, 
it was already cliche at this point to have a fire world, you know, lava world, slippy, slidey, ice world, underwater world. But in this game, I just remember willing, you know, the next, mm. when am I going to unlock the next set of levels? Mm. Um, just because I wanted to see how they'd rendered them and, and, and hear the tunes and everything. Uh, um, I mean, for me, I think the thing that really excited me was the scale of the worlds. Um, mm. You know, you could do that first world and you you could climb all the way to the top um, and you think, oh, look how high I am. And then, you know, and obviously Darren's mentioned you can go under the water and, and you know, that, that feels like a whole the world of its own. And then you've got it spread out and you're going under little, you know, gaps here and there. And you feel like, is, is there no end to the scale of these things? You can go anywhere. And obviously that's not the case, but it felt like so much more than anything we'd seen before in terms of that 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 freedom to to explore these worlds um and, and be able to you know move on and then return later and and think in different ways where you were trying to find the stars so you the bits where you have to uh, get out of the cannon and, and smash the corners off the walls for example you know you wouldn't really necessarily think to do that unless you did it by accident to begin with and then later in the game you start to start seeing that the the, the the whole scale of it's even more broad than than was first expected was just absolutely wonderful and like like you said Leon you want to get on you want to see that ice world you you know you want to go and see the flame world because you you just want to see what more the game can give you is it wet dry world where you go under the level and you see there's a whole another kind of town city <laughs> that was so mind boggling just wow that ah oh, it's just like they put so much <laughs> in this game and like I've I've heard, seen some people sort of saying that they feel you know compared to modern games, the the level design is quite loose. But I love the sense of exploration mm. and discovery in these games. Right in this game, in this in this particular one, like I'm not saying that this is necessarily remains my favourite all time 3D platformer, but there is something about it. Going back, it has it has a sense of adventure. And like even though the the, the level design, you could you could argue it's quite it's expansive and sparse and loose. It, I didn't going back I didn't feel like that I felt like everything in the level was there for a reason mm. and I love the way that you become because of the structure of of the stars going back in each time by the time you're doing the 100 coin star you're kind of intimately familiar with mm -hmm. every nook and cranny yeah. and crevice mm. and that that's not like you know recently played Super Mario 3D World on Wii U and had an absolute blast and it looks glorious and it's so much fun but it's so rapid well, it's... it's like everything's just reward 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 whereas in, in, in Super Mario 64 you have to work a lot harder before you get some of your your, your actual uh, you know satisfaction yeah I mean right. I, I've just played Super Mario 3D Land not World the, the, the 3DS yeah. game and mm. as much as I enjoyed that game there were things that you know, we're talking of well over a decade, over 15 years and more since Mario 64, but there was things I was missing from that experience. Um, Mario 64 had a wonderful hub world um, that that connected everything uh, in such a way that, that it felt like it was one massive environment that was so wonderfully connected. Um, mm. And then you play some so many other games, such as Mario 3D Land, which just felt like a series of levels back to the old uh, Mario Brothers, uh, Super Mario Brothers, Mario Brothers Three, etc., where it was you know World One Three, World One Four, and and, and Mario 64 they... didn't necessarily feel like that because you would walk from one painting and then wander through the castle and and go and enter the but next area. Like... Like Leon, Leon pointed out this actually, it, it's it's weird the way that I mean at the time it's inc incredibly brave to set, to send the player into uh, the opening world um, and say okay well 
kind of get on with it. Like we, your your mission is to get to the top of the mountain. I mean, it's in, in, incredibly simple and uh, relatively easy to do. But you know, you, you're dealing with a, a new control mechanism, um, trying to deal with your senses, getting coping with a 3D world, and yet you've got Nintendo unusually for them now actually taking a massive kind of step back and just say well you know go play in the playground and even in their um it's sometimes actually frustrating in their descriptions of okay here's the full style that you need to get and then they give you some description that actually kind of they might as well just say there's a star in the level somewhere go find it um for as all use as some of they are some of those are but now i feel like if we if we attempted to marry a game and they throwed us for us straight back into the same world repeatedly time and time mm. again and said look there's seven stars in here go and collect them all we'd kind of go like I-, I want more level I don't want to play the same world over and over again mm. but like mm. Leon says there's something and I found this going through it again something really um, comforting about getting that first star and it's normally at the highest point so you understand what, what the- what's made of the level you've already clocked half the red stars along the way um, and then whatever the the second or third star, then they change the level around a bit. So suddenly you know you have somebody to race, or they've added a penguin into the world, or something like that that wasn't their first time around, which actually catches you by surprise. And okay, now the cannons are open, but all this stuff throughout the game, you you clock it every the first star you get, you're clocking tons of stuff in the back of your mind because you know you're going to yeah. go back in there another six times. Um, and that's, I mean, I find that quite refreshing now as a gamer where it is like you like you say leon it's it's about rewarding the, the game with kind of instant gratification all the time and here nintendo were at the time going well just there's the world go and enjoy and here you know if you want to collect some stars along the way to unlock more worlds yeah why not and you don't need all the stars to complete the game it'd just be fun if i you, think if you there's, did, but... there's maybe two factors isn't there to those worlds being like that one would be a a fairly limited development time in that you can only have so many worlds. And the second would be them having the utmost confidence in the quality of those worlds and how good they actually are. Um, you know, it, obviously with, with other games now we see that, you know, almost a, a scattergun approach to how many different kinds of levels you can have. And they're okay. You know, you can sort of appreciate them. Like, there are, are some really great levels on Super Mario 3D Land and it is a truly stellar game. I wouldn't say any one of those levels came close to any of my memories of the worlds in something like Mario 64 because they were so much bigger, they were so much more memorable for those reasons. But in short bursts, as Leon said, with with world, it is quite rapid. You know, you're through the level, you're done. You, you obviously you get the three coins now and and the gold posts, etc. But they're all very short burst levels. You know, some of them are yeah, over very 30 seconds experience. and some of them are maybe a minute and a half if you're taking your time. I suppose, um, I suppose 3D Land, we have to bear in mind, was designed with handheld play in mind and uh-huh. 3D World has obviously come as a spin-off yes. for that. And they certainly, they seemed to, um, Nintendo seemed to start shying back away from Hub Worlds after Super Mario Galaxy 1, which has uh, a similarly uh, expansive hub to Super Mario 64 and it's something I really loved and I really missed when they removed it from Super Mario Galaxy yeah. 2 I completely understand a lot of people didn't want it the feedback was obviously I kept getting lost in the hub world and I didn't know where to go but I'm finding that returning to Super Mario 64 and actually having to like one of the notes I've made there are signposts everywhere in this game telling you giving you clues and telling you how to do moves but there's no signposting telling you where to go really at any point mm, and just, in fact you've unlocked some doors yeah i yeah. remember 
I remember at the time uh, that um, N64 Mag reviewed the import version first, and they said that they preferred playing the Japanese version because when they went into a level, it didn't tell them in English <laughs> what they were supposed to be doing. <laughs> yeah. So they were actually having because if they, you know, if you didn't read katakana or whatever it's in, um, you had to basically go into the level and work out from scratch, how, you know, what you're supposed to even be doing to get a star and that kind of adds a whole nother level of almost i don't know like mist like puzzling well, i think signposting something that was relatively new in games even uh, in 97 you know and it's something that's yeah. certainly matured over time we still don't necessarily get it right now i mean there are games that i have problems with even with hub world something like um demon souls which has a hub world which you know i got lost in i didn't really understand what i was supposed to do but other games do signpost a lot better it's not that it, it can't be done it's just that maybe you know well certainly at the time in 97 well 96 when it was released there weren't mm. many games that needed to be and it's something that that maybe they weren't expecting for that feedback but I loved the exp it was all about the exploration of that game and remembering it and learning and loving that world like it was it's like when you you know you move somewhere new and you don't know where you are but you, you sort of you learn by walking around the streets and learning and that's how I felt about about Mario I always loved how the game started you outside and you still had to go in every even yeah. if you had completed like ninety percent of the game, you still got dropped outside and you have to work yeah. your way back to the very you know, if it was been like the third floor up, it's yeah. still, yep, you you're gonna go and do that. It's And there's um one of the one of the castle secret stars, the flying one, which I, I always I don't think I've ever collected that one myself because I had hundred and nineteen stars the first time I played it, and then my friend came around and said, Oh, you're missing this one and then went and did it mm. and, and I've never done it. But if you fall out of that level, you get thrown back out to the mm -hmm. moat. And you have to go all the way yeah. back up inside, um, which seems crazy now. It's quite clever, like you mentioned, no signposting, but the Nintendo did a really good um, design choice in having a castle as sort of like the overworld hub for you to run around because us as humans have got a basic concept of how buildings are structured. So you sort mm -hmm. of know, like, there's the front door, right? The other doors are going to lead to other rooms and there's an upstairs, there's a downstairs. So, you know, you were sort of already familiar with the castle without even exploring it. So any further adventures in the castle felt really rewarding. Like yeah. when you accidentally, you're chasing a ra rabbit in the basement and you bump into the wall and it wobbles. You're like, oh, what? Are you is, Are you crazy? I was just wall. about to mention yeah. that. There are, there are several entrances to, to fully blown courses of the you know 15 courses there are several entrances which are basically hidden mm. like you you don't need them to do, complete the game because you only need 70 stars to to do the final boss but you need them to do everything mm. so there's one which is yeah just a wall texture at least one um there's the one which is hidden in a mirror which is where you you get the excellent lakitu camera joke which mm. you you've you've forgotten at this point like several hours into the game and 30 <laughs> stars that you're still being followed by lakitu you walk into that mirrored room and it's like hey lakitu's behind me and it still makes me smile every single time um and the uh, the one i had to look up the other day was when you get into the uh, the upper floor with the hall of paintings mm. one of those paintings is just not obviously and it's the smallest one and it's tall tall mountain oh yeah and yeah. um and and that's just i i could, couldn't even remember where that level was mm. um there's a weird one with that as well because there's a sub star within that in hidden within a shimmery wall within that level yes um yeah, the slide, slide the, doesn't it yeah yeah, and then if you if you fall out of that level, that subpart, <laughs> yeah. that level, when you go back into the painting, you go back into the slide, it's it's, and it's, it's that doesn't happen in, in any other point in the game. So, either. so what was your going back to the game now? We've we've all been back. Uh, yeah, like 
so what was the one that stood out to you as okay this this was frustrating i remember how frustrating this was first time around and it's still equally frustrating now and which one surprised you because because mine the frustration one is the tiktok clock stuff yeah yeah oh, i love um, that yeah, I, I think I, I've grown to appreciate it a bit more, but I, I'd still, like, there was stars there that I was, oh, I, I, you oh, know, it's I very close. Know that one's bored. perhaps the closest to the void levels in Sunshine, yeah. but it's, um, and it, and it's perhaps the greatest demand of, of 3D platforming. Yeah, and that's skill. also partly where the camera starts to really fail. On it. Exactly yeah, what yeah. I was about to say. It, because it's so constricted mm-hmm. in there, the camera, Lakitu gets bumped into doesn't stuff. doesn't know where to go, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And another yeah. genius thing that this game has is that it, it, that it cha- you can change the levels of behavior by entering it at different states so with the clock you enter at 12 you know on, on the on yeah. the 12 and the level is completely still and you're like what I can affect levels in this way and then you, you, you check it with quarter past half past quarter two and there's various you know, various speeds and with um wet dry world if you jump yeah. in the painting at the lowest point the water's really low at the bottom you jump in at the highest point and the water's going to be really high so you can sort of go in with um sort of ex- you know expectations of how the level's going to play so you're like oh okay this star's going to be quite high so maybe if I do a backflip into this painting I you know I won't have to press all the buttons to get the highest it's level of water still a hard level as well wet dry world I I absolutely hate it and I I don't think it's designed very well at all i think it's a, no, a, a series of polygons that just get in your way that are just floating I, yeah i'm not a big fan of that level at all and those flippy robots which um flip you up onto high <laughs> ledges oh, i think they're, they're a massive pain in the in the bum and that they sort of they, <laughs> they sort of come back in sunshine with the uh, like the weird yeah. little flippy blob things i don't know what they're called uh much like most of sunshine they're just blobs with arms and legs um but yeah uh yeah i, I think the, the that level in particular is just not very well designed in in any of the stars. If Mario's control now, you know, it, it still works very well for the majority of the time. Mm. But it's things like he sometimes has a little bit more of a turning circle on a small platform than he would do in Galaxy or oh. 3D World. And you'll, you'll fall off to your death. Or the bit where he, he constantly drops down and clings and then you hop him up and he drops down and clings again and, stuff yeah. like and then that. when you actually need him to cling he doesn't fall all the way yeah, to his death yeah that sort of thing and obviously the further you get into the game I mean I'm sort of amazed that they actually put 15 7 star courses in and <laughs> a load of secret stars as yeah. well it seems vast you know um, but the further you get into the game the, the, the more the, the few issues that were were livable with then are kind of more frustrating now having played uh, other games and you know particularly Galaxy since then I would say also but, the, the combat is universally rubbish I always found like jumping <laughs> yeah. jumping was never for, for as easy as the platform well easy but for as precise as the platform was jumping on Goombas was always a pain and actually kicking them like I'd always end up getting the buttons yeah. slightly wrong quite often I'd end up flying towards them <laughs> and actually knocking myself out on top of them oh yeah, you have to be quite careful with your timing, but yeah, I, I don't have I don't have that problem. I, I, or well, that I'm extra okay jump, you know, that extra long jump. You need to kind of do the thing and then jump oh, and then kind of push through the. Oh, air. I love that's my go-to love, move. Love, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I love but, that. And awesome. but the, the the I still absolutely love his sideways jump. It's just perfection. Mm. It really is. What the the loop backwards yeah, on just, yourself jump? Yeah, just yeah. come back and boom, you know, massive jump up into the air, get onto so many higher ledges. Sometimes kick off the wall. Um, yeah. Oh, they, no, it's, it's just incredible. It's still a bit odd seeing Mario punch and kick as well, especially, especially mm. with the kick, because his, his foot sort of inflates with the kick, just to exaggerate the fact that he's kicking a Goomba in the <laughs> yeah, face. Yeah, it looks like I mean? Popeye or something. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. Um, but yeah, the, the combat is never like a, you know, it's not a big deal for me anymore because I can sort of like 
I, bypass it. I, I say mostly. this as, you know, I'm not showing off, but I'm so agile with Mario in Mario 64 and Sunshine that I sort of can predict where I'm going to land before I've even done it. Because I played that game so much, like, right, okay, this is how you kill a Goomba and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's not great, and it's, th- especially when you compare it to, like, the 2D Mario games where they had it down to, like, you know, mm-hmm. a T, you know, just, and that's probably, like, you know, the biggest flaw in the, in the 3D, uh, you know, evolution with the series is that they never really got the, the jumping on enemies as perfect as it was in 2D. Uh, but there are some good moments where you hop on the back of a Cooper shell and you surf around into everything and you just kill everything <laughs> in your path and it's yeah it's um any yeah. slide run brilliant. Mm. And there's the thing that I never used, but I, I was reminded of earlier. There's that sort of uh, breakdancing move that he yeah. does, uh, sort of squat kick, yeah. um, which is basically it's never essential at any point in the game. <laughs> no. uh, also, watching um, I was watching somebody I, I couldn't find one of the red coins on the second boss level uh, second Bowser fire level um, so I looked uh, looked up a clip to spot it mm. um, and it was a sp- it happened to be a speedrun clip and it was this guy basically going everywhere in that level by burning his backside mm-hmm. so doing <laughs> doing the ow 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 yeah. thing um, using that to get up to higher levels yeah um, and of course I think this was the first and still one of the I can't actually remember what uh, what systems the other games have got, but this game had a health meter and uh, and coins were health. And um, it's, actually, that was it's actually called new. power, which I found really power. Odd. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. It was with sunshine, they do change it to life or health. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. having a thing called power that is so overpowered that thing because like if you had any if you had any body of water around you and you were down to one health, you could get your health yeah. back straight away. And I always thought that was mm. a bit weird and a bit unbalanced yes. for a game like that. It's still possible, though, to go on a horrible um, sequence between, you know, a spinning electric thing and a fire-spitting thing <laughs> yeah. and, a, and a monster, and get maybe if you do get bottom bounced through the fire a few times, it, it can go quite quickly. And then Bowser last um, you. Yeah, I, I'm still uncomfortable about seeing Mario drown as well. Like all these other deaths, jumping off the sides, fine, yeah. and just but there's something about oh, and slightly holding his throat, and it's like, oh my god. We got this. Um, we got this game, of course, like six months after Tomb Raider yeah. had come out, and and that sort of that that made, that was an interesting dynamic because in other in other uh, regions they they had Mario before they had Tomb Raider, but that sort of I remember digitizer uh, Paul Rose on on Teletext saying that it actually slightly affected his uh, his appraisal of Super Mario sixty four because he'd been really impressed with what they'd done um, on Saturn and PlayStation with Tomb Raider, but watching Mario do it um, was even worse. Like. You know, going back to the early '90s, obviously we saw Sonic, and there was the horrible. But at least when he drowned, he just kind of—it was one frame of animation. He just drifted off the bottom of the screen. But yeah, it was kind of like it was in the game that we played a week later or whatever. Um, Turok shooting people in the neck and watching them going <laughs> going down, clutching their arteries, spraying um, wasn't as wasn't as distressing as watching Mario uh, gasping for life underwater. I need to see what Mario looks like in other games drowning now because I, my, my, obviously yeah. your instincts are to get to the surface straight away and I've, I've rarely seen it. I can still mm. see it in Mario 64 in my mind's eye, you know, and it is it is a horrible thing. And it is, I think it, it is part of the reason why I'm scared of water levels. Dizzy, Tomb Raider and Mario 64. I think that is the three games that put me off water levels for life. Obviously, I think it's fair to say that we are all fairly blown away by the visuals at the time but um having come back to it now how do how do you feel it holds up um is it you know is it is it hideous did you find it hideous to look at or yeah i didn't like was it. it okay i didn't like it <laughs> i i felt it was um obviously the idea of the mario in 3d is still there and good to look at but the way it's sort of structured around you feels like they're sort of just 
kind of like how Galaxy is, but on a more basic concept. Like there's just they just feel like the levels in the sky. Like the sky boxes around you are really crudely put together. Like like the level ends just suddenly with no real sort of invisible walls. Yeah, yeah there's no natural progression to how the level should look like off this wall. So it kind of feels like it's just floating in midair with no real attachment to anything. And yeah, and I just playing it on a CRT now with composite cables. Like mm. I struggle to see a lot of things in the background, even Mario himself at some points. Like, because right. sometimes the camera will pull back quite far, and you're like, "Where, where is he?" Um, but actually, the art, I, I didn't really like playing it now, and you know, it's, it's I can't really cane it too much, like in terms because it is, it is an old game, you know. But of course, it is. Yeah. Looking at yeah. it now, it, I just, it wasn't very appealing to look at. I just couldn't really get to grips with the the stretch textures and just the just how mm. crude some of it looks. It's a funny one for me because um, I haven't. I mean, I, I've got the the new 3D world sitting here ready to play, um, and maybe my opinions on it would be slightly different if I'd kind of re-adventured into those worlds, but it's been a long time since I played the DS version of that stuff. Um, so I've been doing a lot of 2D Mario. So to actually come back to a 3D Mario, um, it I thought it it held up pretty damn well for a, for a game of for, of that age. I think you know the colours are still exactly as I remember them as a seventeen year old. Um, you know, helped massively by the music. I'm, I'm sure. Um, the camera was definitely tighter than I remember, and that doesn't help things. But I imagine if they panned it out, it would probably break more issues, and it would solve. You know, you can zoom it out one. Yeah, by... then it probably just wouldn't feel right. So I'd mm. f- I had forgotten that. I'll be honest. <laughs> Does help. Does help in certain sections. Um, yeah. No, I, I mean, I. I Unlike Darren, I actually I'm, I was honestly surprised. I mean, I, I played through the N64 and through into my you know big 60 inch HD TV. Yeah. Um, I mean, stretching those. No, well, I, and I made sure that I played it in four to three because yeah, yeah, yeah. Good God, yeah. you put that into widescreen. That is that is an ugly beast. Um, yeah. No, I, I think the colours popped. Um, you know, some of the worlds really stood out. Other worlds didn't look anywhere near as as, as memorable. Like. But the winter world still looked equally as chilly, and jumping off the side and going into the snow and getting Mario stuck there, you know, brought a massive <laughs> smile to my face. Like I think the experience was still um, very much about you know the, the gameplay and the music and the visuals were st- you know were very much popping out the screen for me exactly how I expected them, and probably more so for a game that is as, as old as it is. Well, I wouldn't say as old as it is, but 17 years. I, spe- I expected there to be more fuzz. Um, more, you know, mm. a lack of a, a, a bigger draw distance, and a lot of that stuff surprised me because I've I've been back to N sixty four stuff in the past, and and you know, I've really suffered trying to play that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, one of the weird things is, and I remembered this from the time, but because some of the elements in the game are sprite based, like the coins, you've got a weird thing where the draw distance is different on different elements mm-hmm. in in the world, and I mean, other games do that in a more subtle way now, but uh, it is weird, especially when you're underwater um, and you need coins for health um, if you're running out of air. There's the section in, um, not Dire Dire Docks, but the other one, Pirate Cove, whatever it's oh, called. Oh, Jolly Roger Bay. Jolly Roger Bay, yeah, um, where you have to lure the eel out and then swim around in a circle mm-hmm. and grab its tail. And that can be quite tight on, on air. Um, and it kind of, basically, it helps to learn. Um, and, and I was, I remember fi- at the time finding it very difficult to work out my position in 3D space because of the nature of the graphics, because of the fuzziness and the lack of clarity on the textures. There's virtually no lighting of any kind as such, um, or shadowing. So it's it's difficult. And and now some of the areas, the water look, you know, like waterfalls on Tall Tall Mountain, just look like cubes yeah. of water and stuff <laughs> like that. But overall, um, after a period of 
of uh, reacclimatization. I didn't find it too bad either. I have to say, I think things like the Goombas look terrible. <laughs> like they just they just got none of the personality. And again, coming from 3D World on the Wii U, which uh, which is you know just gorgeous. Yeah. Um, it's it's quite a it's jarring, but things it seems to vary from from thing to thing. Because like the Coopers are pretty cute, and I love those um, spiders with the oily bodies, the red and red and yellow bodies oh, in the yeah, cave, yeah. things like that. And they 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 they're really memorable. So yeah, really mixed bag. Yeah, I, I would say from Darren's point of view though, um, there there was times where I there was areas where I in my mind I remember them being very much like rounded hills and <laughs> and etc. <laughs> and yeah. like it's very much jagged edges and and I think I do oh, take yeah. your point where the world quite often just ends. Yeah. Um, and you know the games have come a, lo- a long way since then. So yeah, I don't hate the way Mario sixty four looks. I have a lot of love for, a lot of love for it, but I just remember it looking more magical in my mind. You know, um, yeah, kind of like how like it. Any N64 game, like in my eye, in my mind, it, it looks amazing. I played Goldeneye the other week; it looks awful. <laughs> I, I played Ocarina like of Time; it looks really blurry. And I was just like, you know what? That, that's just how the N64 was. I think was this this would have been. I should know. I've played them all recently. The first Mario game without a time limit as well, which sort of fits in with the with the slower pace. Um, obviously, there are timed sections. Some of the famous slides, um, mm. including the the Peach, the secret Peach slide, which. Um, which doesn't tell you at all that you have to do it twice. I remembered um, you have to do it even faster the second mm. time for the for the for the second star. But overall, um, it's quite fun. The fact that you can again, I've, I've actually enjoyed playing it on a more explorational mm. basis, like rather than kind of pelting through and and the 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 pace of the of the modern games, particularly the you know the last uh, New Super Mario Brothers U and the recent 3D <laughs> games. They're very brisk and breakneck, mm-hmm. which I guess goes back to the sort of the origins of, of the original. But this, again, and maybe this is why you know some people did never get on with Super Mario 64. It, it feels, and the atmosphere as well. I think this game, for me, and this is such a subjective thing, and we'll talk about the music in a bit. But I think this game feels a little unlike anything else. It has a slightly weird, mysterious, eerie atmosphere. I think that that Mario is generally happy bouncy you know and it has the ghost houses but they're kind of you know they're kind of fun ghost houses but in this right haunted uh, booze mansion unsettles me more than most survival <laughs> horror games it it's the combination of the, of the the darkness of it and the the fearsome audio Koji Kondo's music and the bit where you go to that fair the carousel underground and it plays the fairground music it still oh, creeps me out really creeps me out that's where the uh, the cartridge comes into full effect where it can just sort of swap tracks seamlessly between air environments we, off air we were talking about um you know the boss battles being fairly similar i.e grab tail spin round mm. mm-hmm. throw into stuff off cliff <laughs> or you know as you know a lot of the jumping on top of things and doing the stomp uh, i always always appreciate that doing that to the uh oh, what are the, the things that the, the rocks that fall down what do they have oh they're probably called womps the, the fonts of the square ones the square blue ones that stamp on your face i think these ones are called womps or something. big plasters on them always yeah. oh smashing them on the back yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i was I also was completely uh taken aback by the fact that at least the first two um bowser bosses you only have to hit them once yeah it's yeah. quite quite surprising because the nintendo rule of three doesn't really apply there yeah. does it I mean, I think I don't think there's. I think virtually every boss in both the Galaxy games is three. I think, but 
Certainly not one. <laughs> also, that final um, boss level, it, it's getting to him is actually really... I've done some really tricky stuff in the game to them. That final kind of run through you know, the magnetic areas and the, the fire stuff. Like, it's not that... It wasn't... I was surprised how easy that section was. And that final boss one where you need to throw and freeze onto the mine. I mean, I did have a little trouble there this time around because I could never get that third one yeah. down quite right. Mm. Um, just because, you know, I'm not as good as, good as Darren, apparently. <laughs> uh, you know, gotta, gotta lead him towards me, but uh, yeah, Bowser's tactics of well, this time I'm gonna put a little bit more fire on the ground wasn't <laughs> wasn't inspired. He sort of breaks the floor beneath you and he creates a star to make yeah. to remind you that you are fighting for the ultimate star. I, I do really like that final boss battle because it it really like, I think it's the second one actually where he tilts the whole platform up against you and you're sort of pushing mm. against him with all your might and then he flips back and it's like because you're so intensely pushing this pushing the stick one way you're almost certainly for the first time going to fly off the other side and sort of you know lose so there, there are there are some variants to Bowser in terms of how he reacts the, to, to the Mario but yeah ultimately they are all the same aren't they really we've sort of brushed past them but uh, I like again the sort of the the element of discovery that are the castle's secret stars. Some of them are, are quite straightforward. Like three of them, you just have to speak to the right toad mm. um, and stuff like that. But other ones, there's, there's, yeah, is it Mibs, Migs the rabbit, something? <laughs> um, he, he, he turns up twice um, him you know, to catch him. Yeah. Um, obviously, you've got uh, various just one-off levels which are either flying or swimming or something like that. Um, then you've got the the cap switches. We talked about the switch palaces, of course, in Super Mario World, and these are the equivalent. Um, once you've activated these they make sections in um, various levels uh, doable or if not easier um, yes lots of lots of fun to be had and discovered um, but there's no way of knowing which ones you've done and which ones you haven't so I've already in this recent playthrough uh, thought oh I didn't collect the eight coins in the invisible cap switch level and then when I got the star it was already greyed out so that oh, was annoying. I think, I think the rabbit's called Mips and he was named Mips. named after like the CPU for the N64 something like that right ah. as in trilinear mip mapping interpolation which was yeah. the another of the buzz phrases around the uh, basically it was the smoothing um, it was why it was why N64 <laughs> super smooth yeah N64 graphics looked looked less um, pixelated right. than PlayStation. I always like. I remember the first time I looked up in the sky and suddenly vanished up into the. the, the oh, that one, yeah, yeah of course. Brilliant. It's like, oh, yeah. God, okay, level. There's a level up here. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I never. I mean, I did. I did 120 stars eventually, but it was a long time after owning the game, and it was one of those cases where, um, you know, having magazines come out and, and buying those and reading exactly where I missed. Uh, first time through, I, you know, obviously beat Bowser and kind of found probably it probably ended up about 85, 90 stars, and then. Mm. Over like over a six months period, just you know, gleaming stuff from magazines and going, oh, there's one there, and go, going <laughs> back into the game and and finding that stuff. But uh, yeah, a lot of that stuff is pretty um, hidden away or ambiguous. I think to, I to did the, the whole lot in about a week, but I possibly did have some sort of guide or something. I can't mm. remember. Mm. It's amazing how much of that game is stored in my brain. I borrowed Carl's copy for yeah. this this podcast, and I did it yeah. in like two days. <laughs> but all, yeah, all of you it, absolutely yeah, caned it. Really quick. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah it was like you tweeted. Um, no, you Facebook, didn't you? It's yeah. like right, done seventy stars. Like, how long have you had this? And then and it was like, oh, I might might do some more. And then next next post, done one hundred and twenty. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was seventy stars in twenty four hours. Yeah, it yeah. was pretty ridiculous, and I, I kind of had a similar experience with Sunshine. But we'll, we'll talk about that next month. Mm. I still still did a few things like I've raced down the penguin down the, the slope, 
and then cheated by cutting, you know, taking the shortcut down a level just to be told off at the penguin at the end. I totally forgot I kn- about I that. I knew he was going to do yeah. it as well, and it just brought a massive smile on the face. Like, yeah, I cheated. Yeah, what, what's all about it? Yeah, you're not going to give me a star. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'd totally forgotten there's that. You just yeah, go through just a wall, don't you? Yeah, you just like, yeah. take half the level off. You can also get a yeah. stretched penguin. Oh, that's It's right. really yeah. wide and he'll just obnoxiously knock you off the the race course. And isn't that, that once you complete the game as well, isn't that? I think that sounds about right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of there's lots of Easter eggs and other things. One of the, probably the most obvious and famous is Mario's idle animation where even after a short period you let him go and he, you know, this was already something that had been around for a few years. Idle animations and he dozes off. But if you leave him really long, he starts snoring and mm-hmm. talking in his sleep and talking about various kinds of pasta in a not at all stereotypical <laughs> Italian way. But, um, yeah, I mean, this was obviously the Yoshi on the roof is kind of the ultimate Easter egg in that it's, I mean, it's hinted at, um, completing 120 stars gets you the cannon on the beach and you can fire up to the roof and you can get the most pointless yeah. reward of all time more lives. but it's it's more about and you get a sparkly <laughs> star jump yeah. as well but it's more about the fact that you've seen yeah. yoshi which was for the first time at that point since 19 you know 90 if, if you hadn't played if you played mario world at the time which i hadn't of course but it was still great to see yoshi on the roof um, but I remember the magazines, obviously pre-internet, were absolutely chock full of glitches and things you could do in this game that you weren't supposed to be able to, like breaking the geometry, you know, finding shortcuts to places and weird warps and the backwards jump that would take you really fast through the levels. Yeah, up, up the endless staircase that yeah. you shouldn't be able to go up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I always remember reading loads of articles of people constantly saying they saw Luigi in the game Luigi <laughs> yeah, in the game and, the, the, and some of them would write like this is where I saw him I definitely saw him yes. here and and people were like it's nonsense you know it's not there and then some of those letters actually matched up to where he is in the DS version <laughs> yeah. and people were like well maybe you know maybe, maybe he actually was there and it was a glitch but it was it was supposedly it was a, a shadowy figure that is you know, quote unquote, definitely Luigi, but you know, maybe it was there, and it was just one of those really rare glitches, and it's something that they couldn't get done in the development time. But it was everywhere. I mean, that was up there with you know the old Tomb Raider dance to "Wanna Be My Spice Girls." <laughs> you want to get a naked sort of thing. So. There was a, the rumors were exacerbated, and as far as I know, there is definitely no Luigi in Super Mario sixty four. But um, it was exacerbated because there's a star in the in the courtyard out where you go yeah. to booze, uh, which says uh, which which has very very blocky blurry writing, which I believe is meant to say the eternal star, but a lot of people translated it as something like Luigi is real. Yeah, L is real twenty forty one. That's it. Yeah. L is real twenty forty one. Yeah. So um, I think it's utter nonsense. Yeah. Um, but entertainment. Find out in twenty seven yeah. years. Yeah, it, it could people. be that. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird because like. As uh, as you said, Tony, like this is a game that I absolutely, I you know, I caned it. As I say, I probably played the whole thing in a, in a, maybe a week, ten days, something like that. And I've only ever been back to it and dabbled. This is the longest I've played it since the time. Um, and that's actually true. As much as I would, you know, hold up Nintendo first party stuff linked to the past and and games like that as some of my absolute favourite games, I've never really replayed them so much. Mm. Um, and uh, and I think that's valid. You know, there are some films that I absolutely love that I've not watched more than once, but because that once was so perfect, you know, why 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 ruin it? But yes, watching people, it's always when because you know I've got this passion for a huge broad variety of games on a on a load of platforms, and so I constantly play new things, like a lot of us are, particularly you know us cane and rinse types. 
when I watch people doing speedruns of this game, I have this, you know, this slight jealousy and admiration for them that they w are willing to just play this one game over and over until it's <laughs> so like you, Darren, you're talking about bits of it being, you know, locked in your brain. Mm. These people play this game. If I'm, I'm talking about a glitch free speed run here, I'm talking about doing yeah. 70 stars to get to the end or whatever the proper way they have just they have it absolutely imprinted every maneuver every it's like a it's like a the most convoluted lengthy dance routine it's like no it's like learning a stage musical as a performer you know something like that it's it's insane i mean i could never i would never have the patience to do it i'd constantly be thinking about what other games i could be playing but when i watch it it's like wow yeah okay either i'm, I'm halfway between you've wasted your life and yeah i'm, re I'm really impressed and jealous but I mean, you know, there's a lot of games we talked about that can be speedrun, but I think this is one of the ones. Well, most of the Mario games, I think, particularly lend themselves because of the, what is it? Because they're just so tightly designed. Yeah. Because yeah, because Mario is so precise to control, and I think this one's the most interesting speedrun because it's so primitive. Like you know, it's the first 3D Mario game, so there's a lot of engine stuff that's really not fully formed if you know what i mean like there's so many like bits yeah. of geometry in this game that you can sort of wall kick off that you shouldn't really be wall kicking off mm -hmm. you can sort of bounce off corners that you know that people have just worked out like if i was to do like a, a long jump and hold down back on the stick i could sort of surf backwards up a hill and stuff like that yeah it's it's crazy to think that you know this game can be played like that but yeah they i think sort of these the the, the first real batch of proper 3d games are always really interesting to, mm. to watch i remember over Christmas, I was actually watching speedruns of uh, Ocarina of Time mm. on the N64, oh, and it is fascinating, cause, because the development, obviously they weren't expecting people to take advantage of these things, and certain things weren't planned, so I know I know when Leon was mentioning the, the legitimate speedruns, which are brilliant to watch, but I quite find the ones that are interesting Just are the ones the that world. actually know how to <laughs> manipulate the world mm. and break it, and something like Ocarina of Time doesn't seem like it would be an interesting speedrun. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating, but you know, equally Mario sixty four is brilliant for the for the reasons that Darren's saying, you know, the the way that you you're coming off some of these environments and, and you go in places you're like, Oh, that, that, he's jumped from one world and suddenly he's sort of in a, another world. That's kinda of weird but awesome. Um and it just sort of blows your mind. If you think you know the game and then you watch these people and then you realise you only know you know they're seeing outside the matrix, yeah. so to speak. Uh, we must talk about the music. We've barely talked about it. Um, I'll start with this uh, slightly negative comment from correspondent Insert Coins. He says, Mario 64's music never connected with me when I played it, with the exception of a few notable standout tracks like Dire Dire Doc's theme and Bowser's music. I was assumed I just didn't care for the composition of the game's songs, but hearing some of the music re-recorded in later games, like the nostalgic Fortress theme in Super Mario Galaxy 2, I found the songs to be quite fun and jazzy. Looking back, I think what I didn't care for was the strange choices in instrumentation that the game made. The bizarre, difficult-to-describe sounds that the instruments make in the Super Mario 64 background music are inseparably tied to the game, but I think that they undersell what are actually some pretty well-written pieces. What I wanted to say to that was, that's actually why I love the Super <laughs> Mario 64 music so much, is the instrumentation. Now, this is a machine which didn't have a dedicated sound chip, and... The sound still sounds uh, like it's low sample rates, it sounds scratchy, it's muffled, and that's a real shame to me. But things like that uh, Booze Mansion piece, and um, I mean, there, there, there arguably isn't enough music, there's quite a lot of it's used multiple times yeah. over and stuff like that, but 
um, there's a lot of these tunes that I kind of wish did make more of a comeback. Um, and for me, they very much, um, I'm talking about that slightly weird atmosphere, which, I, which as I say, I, it's probably my brain, a, a subjective thing. And obviously music is very much part of that. But I love the atmosphere that the music creates in this game and, and the Dire Dire Docks Jolly Roger mm-hmm. Bay theme is, is heartbreakingly yeah. um, nostalgic. My favourite, definitely. But yeah, yeah. The, the noises mm. the N64 makes, it reminds me of why I like certain eras of music. Um, the SNES also had its, like, when in Link to the Past, when the, the thunder goes off, it's not actual oh. thunder noises. It's sort of like a weird SNES crackle that I, I, yeah. I really like. And the mm-hmm. same with the N64, mm. you know, it's, it's got its own unique noises that obviously i it, i'm in tune with but as as themselves you know when i was first playing this and obviously i didn't i didn't have any expectations i wasn't aware that the n64 had been put together without an actual sound chip you know yeah. um i was like it was just I, I was i was always aware that the n64 had it obviously had some technical limitations to its sound because it didn't i knew it wasn't you know it wasn't a cd based console and i realized there were storage issues and the instruments sounded chippy rather than you know real um, perhaps in some cases even less real than they they had on the SNES's chip, which was a really high end chip for its time. But actually, it's those it's things like the marimbas and things like that that are used in the in the Lava World thing that that make mm. the music in this game more memorable for me than in a lot of the more. I mean, you know, I adore the the, the fully orchestrated music in in Galaxy. I think it's fantastic, but in its completely in its own way, the Mario uh, the music in this Mario is yeah it's just it it's hard to imagine without it but but i think i always loved it yeah i think if you replace the n64 soundtrack with the orchestrated one that you can find in the smash brothers soundtrack it, it mm. wouldn't be the same it wouldn't have the same wouldn't have the same effect like even with, with mm. real instruments you know even though it's the same song i just i think you need the n64 noises to make it uh, mm-hmm. a complete atmospheric game. The audio just feels like it's of that time in the same way that the graphics feel of that time and the models feel all of that time and it works. If if the sound sounded so much better than the visuals looked, you sort of get that real sort of disparency um, and it, it's why when people do sort of remixes of games and they'll, they'll put like new music with the old graphics or new graphics with the old music and it, it doesn't, it feels quite alienating. And I think that's why I like the Mario 64 music uh, even now, because it goes with the game of 1996. And it, it's why I can go back to the retro games and be so forgiving of how they look or how they sound, because it just works, because you, you acknowledge it was that time. And it's also why I don't like half-baked remixes of games. If, if you're going to redo the visuals, redo the audio at the same time, etc., or just don't do it at all. Uh, I noticed it. So there was to be a Super Mario 64 2 uh, for the Nintendo 64 DD, um, which was... (laughs) No. (laughs) This was going to be like a multiplayer game in um, 1999. It was due to come out, but the the 64 DD, although it was launched, didn't do very well at all. Um, Got Animal Forest and a version of F-Zero X with a level design or something. Yeah, Yeah. Um, a few other things. SimCity and Mario Paint as well. Um, but Super Mario 64 2 didn't happen. But yes, uh, Miyamoto wanted, uh, yeah, cooperative, I think, multiplayer. With, um, and, and they showed a demo internally, but it's never been seen outside. No, there were really horrible botched jobs of um, 
you know, people mm. photoshopping in <laughs> Luigi into yeah. horrible uh, screenshots. But yeah, I've never, I've never seen it obviously because it's not been shown publicly. Uh, apparently, Miyamoto said that you know that they they they've got an idea for it running on 64DD, and they're thinking about mm. multiplayer. So I think people just assumed there was going to be a co-op game. But yeah, right. uh, I'd love to know what that game looked like. Would you? Yeah. <laughs> I just, just out of curiosity, you know. Kurosaki says this is my least favourite core Mario game although I've still never played Sunshine don't get me wrong it's not that I hate it I just disagreed with all the 99% best game ever review scores it got at the time naturally when I bought my new N64 with my brother buying Mario 64 was of course a priority and though for the most part I enjoyed it for some reason I didn't think it lived up to the hype I think sometimes the camera had a mind of its own which led to a few deaths I've never replayed it since compared to the many times I've revisited other games in the series yeah, I mean, hype can be a terrible thing. Mm. I think it's so often the case we still see it all the time, games that are reviewed to the high heavens. I mean, obviously, sometimes it just comes down to the fact that different people have different tastes and, and whatever, but sometimes I think going into a game being told that it's or a film or a record, it's the best thing ever, it's the best thing ever, then you're only ever going to be disappointed. Uh, it's one of those things, you know, it, it depends how what level you, you sort of see it as. If you see a 10 out of 10 as someone saying the best game ever, is different to seeing someone say 10 out of 10 a new benchmark. Yeah, well, that's it. You know, and 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 you know, for me, Mario sixty four was a new benchmark. Ago, it deserved the you know legendary edge ten at the time, in the same way that Gran Turismo did a few months after. Mm. Um, and you know, it doesn't mean that the game's perfect. It just means that you know exactly. it, that, that's that's how it is, and it, that's why game scores can you know you can sort of manipulate them however you want. Some people don't like them. Some people do like them, but. You know, for me, I like I like them as long as they're used in the correct manner, and that is judging it by uh, how other games compare to it, uh, and vice well, versa. Well, different different organs and outlets can use their own criteria as long as they make it clear. I think that's the most important yeah. thing. Insert coins on the game as a whole. So, Super Mario sixty four was an extraordinarily revolutionary title, setting the new standard for three D platformers. Its influence is immeasurable. It has affected every three D game since its release. It taught designers and players how 3D games are supposed to control, how 3D worlds are supposed to be built, and how 3D games are supposed to feel. But you know, in my mind, the legacy it left is one of a stepping stone along the way to something better. Mario 64's level design is clearly an example of early 3D platforming work. 
While the levels are large and open, each objective typically constricts play to a rather linear path through the level, not often taking full advantage of the open space at the game's disposal. This is exacerbated by the fact that the game kicks you out of the world after completing each objective, a design choice built around the linearity of design of certain levels. The game rebuilds certain elements of the levels to change, course, change the course depending, the selected, depending on the selected challenge. Something that works well in a game like Super Mario Galaxy that does not try to hide its linearity but feels unnecessary in a game with such large, often open worlds. Mario 64's levels tend to feature shapes, objects and textures that don't make the same kind of in-universe sense, feeling less cohesive overall. This is a stylistic choice though as Mario games have always revelled in their own abstract artifice. Super Mario Sunshine would go in the opposite direction, establishing a consistent space that cohesively and logically ties all elements together, and Super Mario Galaxy would go even farther in the opposite artificial abstract direction. Mario is comfortable in both extremes. Lack of cohesiveness is something that damages, in a small way, the entire game. Many of the enemies and game elements don't fit the game's established aesthetic, like the plesiosaurs, wet dryland water striders and Bowser's submarine. While these elements don't hurt the gameplay, they take away from the feeling that Mario 64 all takes place in one connected world. All that said, Super Mario 64 is a very fun game that does deserve praise for being the first, even if it was not the best, to do what it did. Although there are other games that I prefer to play when going back to that era of 3D Nintendo 64 platformers, Super Mario 64 will always have a place in my heart. He gets bonus points for using the word plesiosaurs. Right, well <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I don't agree with everything in sequences there. Um, there. There's some I've excised where he was, um, you know, basically comparing the game negatively to Banjo Kazooie, which which I can understand. I mean, I love that game probably equally mm. Super Mario 64, but it has to. We have to bear in mind that that came yeah. on, like two years later, um, and it's very it's very different. It's it's it has a lot of similar things and I remember at the time the magazines would you know talk about which one's best I don't think it matters they're both they're both I think they're both great yeah. um, but at the time there was no Banjo-Kazooie um, and that's kind of really relevant um, and I actually really like the the sort of abstract mm -hmm. kooky quirky nature yeah. of the worlds and I, I think it was Carl you said it earlier or somebody said it earlier they 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 look like these look like island worlds in the sky mm. um, and because that is how 3D platformers kind of had to be them because although the N64 was this uber powerful machine, it wasn't a, it wasn't powerful that it could render, you know, it couldn't render everything mm -hmm. like a fully surrounding forest. <laughs> you had to have yeah, you had to have skyboxes and you had to have invisible walls at the edge of the world and you had to have just a number of polygons in that level. And actually, it works for me because what's Mario always done? He's jumped between hovering things in the sky. Yeah. Ever since the I'd, first, the very first, first thing Mario ever does is jump over a Goomba and headbutt a block that's in hovering <laughs> magically so in the realistic. sky. That's... So part of that world, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I'd also say um, about the cohesiveness of the world and feeling slightly abstract, I always felt that that was the case, but the paintings were the excuse for that. Every painting, yeah. you, I felt the paintings were a genius stroke in that you know, it was clearly which level you know you were trying to go into. But they were always, okay, well, that's clearly a snow level, that's a lava level, and there was a few that were in between. But I always felt that you know paintings are very much abstract and you can have stuff with in them that doesn't necessarily have to make sense i think when it, it comes to later games 
um, that cohesiveness was was actually quite important. Um, Sunshine, like I said, did an interesting job at that, and even Galaxy, you know, keeping you know stuck within within the universe, it would have been quite odd if they went to a completely different direction. So I think other games have got that. I really don't think Mario sixty four suffers from not having that. I think it's you know it's just more abstract because the game is designed and allowed to be more abstract, and you know that's. Uh, early enough in a, in a in a generation where I don't think you know, it has to be perfect, where everything makes sense. That oh, I've moved from one area to the next, and here's the perfect reason why that's happened. Uh, the game would never set out like that, and it didn't need to be. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because what what Tony said pretty much backs up what I was saying when I said earlier in the show that I felt that it did all take place in one connected world, and the obviously world Ryan said yeah. completely the opposite. Mm, mm. Um, and it's mainly because those pictures are. They're obviously well placed in a castle that would be there. They, they can be abstract, and that that can give access to those crazy places. And of course, then you've got the other hidden areas, which are the you know the, the equivalent to the to the revolving bookcase in a castle. You know, the, the hidden book, and you pull it and you go through, etc. The, 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 there would be hidden things in a castle. So I don't necessarily get that. It, it's also hard to compare Mario sixty four to the games that came after because, like we said, with the signposting, certain things were new that. We learned how better to develop those into better things, but where Ryan is right is that there's no doubt that that Mario sixty four did influence every single three D game that came after and continues to do so today because that was the first real one to have a sort of a mega impact on the industry, and for that you've sort of got to give it you know a bit of leeway. It didn't get everything right, but it got so much more right than it got wrong, and for to be so early, you know, you know, we're talking what eighteen years ago now. Um, that's pretty impressive. Finally, from the forum, Haze Red Mist says, "I believe it was Christmas nineteen ninety eight. I got my N sixty four and a copy of Mario sixty four. The game was absolutely unbelievable to me at the time, and I'm actually not sure it's been bettered in three D terms. I haven't played the Galaxy games. The courses all had a personality of their own, with a fantastic sense of scale. I remember many of the levels fondly, and always loved the jump in the painting mechanic to access them. I loved the hub world in the castle, the myriad of secrets. The boss levels were also brilliant, and somehow the camera felt perfect, unlike any other three D game of that era." The music was also amazing, and the star collection system gave you genuine reasons to revisit levels, often with exciting new challenges that changed the way you approach them. I've got the DS version, and going back to it, the game isn't quite as incredible as I remember it today. But at the time, it was the absolute pinnacle of 3D platforming, and has aged quite well considering. I'd love an HD remake, but recognise the chances are pretty slim. It's-a me, Mario! Indeed. Yes, uh, one little glitch we didn't mention that I feel we ought to is the uh, the cap! You can have Mario's cap nicked off him um, once by a monkey, and you can just grab it straight <laughs> back. But um, a bird, uh, Klepto, can steal your hat, um, and it, or it can get blown off by a snowman as well. Um, and it's yeah. actually possible to end up out of the level playing the game without your hat, which means that you're much more susceptible to damage. Um, and there's even a glitch, which means that if you lose your hat in a certain place, you can never get it back again because it's under a star that um, that you will always collect if you go into that place. And you never yeah, people, you, your hat. People refer hat to it as hardcore mode. It's quite funny. Like if you want to be <laughs> <Yeah>. really <laughs> make Mario hard for yourself, then you lose your hat straight away, and then <laughs> yeah. and then play the game. New yeah. challenge for you, Darren. Yeah, hatless. All right, uh, we got a load of three-word reviews. Let's go for them. Billy Bill Black, it's a Mario. 
yeah, he sort of, he could have. I reckon we yeah, should put the hyphen there, in there, yeah, there yeah. and then and make okay, it. Do you want me to go? Yeah, again? yeah, try that again. Biddy Bill Black, it's a me, Mario. <laughs> Best one I could do. Sorry. Apologies to any Italian <laughs> listeners. Craigie H28, modern gaming begins. <clears throat> Tat son. Best the lot. No, sorry. Uh, b- <laughs> <laughs> Best launch game. Nick O'Neill. Jot on floor. Jared Newman. Groundbreaking 3D platformer. Chris Lacey. Amazing 3D wonder. Scruffy the janitor. He says, catch that rabbit. Minute 5072. Roof. Old friend. Matthew Platter. Spin that Bowser. Patrick Herfling. Get all stars. So knuckles. Ledge falling simulator. Akila Edwards. Set the standard. Ben Fold. Rarely equaled platformer. Roy42, however, argues that it has no equal. The Nekimansa says, amazing speedrun glitches. Neil Taylor. N64 crown jewel. Postman Gav. Groundbreaking, fantastic, sequel-worthy. Oh, I didn't really want to get this one, but uh, <laughs> Rich Woodward. Anyone can do the best impression of Mario doing his triple jump? It's like a Tony, isn't it? You go for it, Darren. Go on. <laughs> so, yeah, it goes, Yahoo! Yahoo! Something like that. Uh, it's, it's one of those summaries where probably anyone who wanted ever to play this probably already has, although we did have one uh, forum correspondent who I know, you know, is a fan of other games in this series who said, I've never played Super Mario 64, so, <laughs> you know, maybe we could persuade somebody to still try it, should they try mm-hmm. it. Um, but, yeah, just summarise your feelings, Tony. Um, as a 17-year-old kid, this was groundbreaking in every way, shape and form. Uh, but that's not how I approached it now. I approached it to see how, you know, 17, 18 years later, how it played in the modern day. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised. I think, you know, visuals have aged a little bit, but not as far as, as much as you'd I'd imagine they would have done. Um, Gameplay-wise, it's still pretty, pretty damn solid. Uh, and... Um, Camera-wise, you know what? That's not great. Um, but then, God, you know what? How much more can I complain? I think it's amazing how well that game still plays, eighteen years on. What I will say is, you know, as a seventeen-year-old, or the game coming back out when it did, um, for a game to get so much right on its on the launch of a system, I don't know if it's ever been bettered. I can't think of a personally think of a better launch game I mean, Halo has a really kind of special place in my heart and, and does a lot of the same kind of stuff but to not only, I, I know it wasn't the first 3D platformer but to to be one of the first 3D platformers, to be one of the first ones um, you know, pioneer, pioneering the, the 3D camera um, and to be one of the first ones really you know, embracing that the whole 3D environment and to get so many of those aspects right first time out and kind of leave this huge shadow over it for, for many, many years. And, and, you know, some believe that it's never been bettered. What is interesting, before I played this, I kind of was one of those people that felt that Mario 64 was still the best 3D platformer game out there. Having gone through the, the entire game now, I can say it. It's actually, in my personal opinion, it's not. I think it has been bettered. I think it's been bettered by a lot of its um, sequels that have come out and a lot of 3D platforming game now, which kind of, in some respects, upsets me a little bit because I didn't want that to be the case. But the fact that it still goes toe-to-toe with some of the best games that have ever been released beyond that 18 years later is incredible to me because I've been back to so many games and been 
sorely disappointed with you know rose tinted glasses that you know just haven't lived up to the the hype so should you play it yes you should play it come on it's mario 64 how have you not played it it's available in many different <laughs> guises now should you get an n64 and play it with that brilliant pad come on darren i'm sure you agree with me yes get that chalky pad out get that little <laughs> you know middle stick out that that is a crazy ass pad that never really made sense outside of that game but you know what it's great for that game so spend 50 quid get yourself an n64 with a copy of mario 64 job done lovely brilliant fair enough <laughs> carl uh, it, it's weird because you you know Tony mentions being that seventeen year old kid. I was thirteen at the time. You know the the sort of the situation with how it was bought for me. That surprise. You know the, everyone's seen the Nintendo sixty four kid on YouTube. <laughs> that was how I felt playing Mario sixty four for the first time. And, you know, um, I don't think I don't think anything's ever replicated the moment that you know I stood in front of that liquid metal pool, jumped in it, and turned into Metal Mario. That that was probably my one defining truly jaw-dropping moment in gaming um it was just it did so many things so well uh what i would say is it probably doesn't feel as polished now as the later 3d marios you know 3d land's great 3d world is supposedly brilliant unfortunately i've not played it then you've got the you know the fantastic 2d platformers which hold up exquisitely well if you wanted to see where the 3d platforming really kicked on and became something special then yeah by all means go and play mario 64 or an even better idea would be if you have a a young child and you want to get them into gaming and they're at a very young age then this would be the perfect game to introduce them into 3d gaming because aesthetically it's brilliant the fidelity is obviously not what it used to be but you can still sort of appreciate despite all its flaws and i actually went into the 3d you know era if if you will uh, quite negatively um, because I was one of the unfortunates that played Lone Soldier on the Playstation <laughs> and that'll scar me for the rest of my life mm. um, and that was about a year before the release of Mario 64 so I thought it would feel, you know, that horrible word, sort of clunky mm. um, and, and unrefined, unpolished which is all the reasons why, as I mentioned on the, you know, the, the, the Mario early Mario podcasts, the reason why I loved those games is how sharp they felt to play, how precise. For them to actually encapsulate that in Mario 64 was quite special. We've mentioned it's not as sharp as it is in, say, the Galaxy games now, the turning circle and stuff, but it's still pretty incredible. So my positives for that game still, you know, 18 years on, far outweigh the negatives of that game. Uh, And that's truly don't think there's that many games I could say that for um, so by all means if you've never played it before there's still some positives to see from it but I wouldn't worry too much about it and I say that as a huge fan of the game and for me it is the best of the 3D platformers on the uh, Nintendo 64 I know I'm, I might get some flack off the team because there are some real Banjo-Kazooie lovers but I, I think uh, Mario 64 is a superior platformer but I would say probably try the Galaxy games, although they never clicked with me, or the 3D Mario Land or 3D Mario World. I always find it surprising when big fans of 64 didn't get on with the Galaxy games, but uh, because I love them every bit as much, maybe more. But uh, that's for a couple of months' time. Um, yes, as a 24-year-old child, this game blew me away. And um, it was... 
a magical time playing it through for the first time. It was worth buying a £250 new console to play. Absolutely no question, mm -hmm. along with, you know, pilot wings and things that would come further down the line like Wave Race. But at the time, um, Super Mario 64 uh, was, yeah, the the killer app. System seller. Child, yeah. System seller. All that, yeah. Um, and I absolutely loved it. And as I say, I played it through. I only ever dabbled, really. Um, since then, dropped in, did a few stars, nostalgia uh one out and it was you know happy enough to to put it away again but as i say that doesn't that doesn't take away anything from how well made and how enjoyable a game i found it to be um what surprised me is going back now because i was expecting it to be less fun than i found it the last couple of weeks playing it again um it's obviously it looks a little uh ropey in places um, it feels a little rough around the edges in some ways compared to things I play more recently. As I say, I've never made it any secret. I'm a massive fan, particularly of the first Galaxy game. And to me, that's where Nintendo kind of did everything right. Um, it was a natural progression from Super Mario 64. But as I say, I actually found myself getting a real buzz out of playing this, like very similar to the buzz that I was getting out of playing the brand new you know, much vaunted 3D world on the Wii U, um, which yeah, really surprised me. Obviously, it doesn't look anything like, like as nice. It's it's a lot slower, um, but it's got, as I say, for me, it's it's got this particularly unique atmosphere and sense of place about it. Sense of even if it isn't cohesive, its incoherency is almost one of the things I like about it. Um, and yeah, I'm moving on to Sunshine now for next month's podcast, which I've got hugely mixed feelings about, partly because of how I felt about it the first time around. But I'm now both excited to play Sunshine again because I've been enjoying Mario 64 mm. so much, but also trepidatious because of the things I remember <laughs> about Sunshine not being up to snuff uh, compared to Super Mario 64. But um, yeah, I mean... I really, obviously, tw you know, it sold 12 million copies and more people have played it and on the DS and whatever. Um, I'd be surprised if there are too many people listening to this who haven't played it. But if you haven't, um, bear in mind it's going to be slower and, and a bit uglier, for want of a better word, than some of the Mario games you might have played more recently or other things. But there's a really, really cool, well-designed, interesting, clever, witty game in there. Um and yeah, it's for for a three D game of its age, it stands up better than many, mm. in my mm. view. Darren Gargles. Yeah, uh, there's a reason why um, games like Luigi's Mansion and Mario Sunshine were was such a disappointment in people's minds. It was because Mario sixty four was and is really really good. Like, and for a launch title, it's also left an everlasting impression that. Nintendo consoles need to launch with a game as good as this and you know the, the, all those things are a true testament to just how good this game you know how groundbreaking this game is um, and I, I say is because I, I really enjoyed playing it through recently on my big old TV with an N64 pad uh, it's, it's a bit easier than what I remember I remember just blasting through it and just thinking alright oh, I remember being a lot more stressed out before with the, the 100 coin challenge mm. and stuff but I think that's just partly down to my muscle memory kicking in and just like oh okay that's what I need to do but yeah I think compared to other Mario games I do think it's a lot simpler and uh, yeah uh, and I think that's down to just that how well the controls 
hold up. Like if I was to play another 3D platform from that era, say Croc, I don't think I'd have as much fun as jumping around as I do with Mario. I, I think it, it's rarely been beaten in terms of control. Um, but yeah, the, the, the game will outwit you in in some ways, like you said, Leon. Uh, the the picture of a peach that turns into Bowser before the flap opens is just, uh, <laughs> just such a good idea. Like that is, you're like, oh, there's a peach and a painting. I've been jumping through paintings all this time. Let's jump through that one. Oh, it's a big flap underneath me. I'm now in a Bowser level. Like that is such a great move. Like it's 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 mad. Like obviously you can see it a mile off transform now, but when you first see that and you run towards that painting, you thought you were done already, and you know you were so excited. And you, you know the endless stairs is another thing where. In my memory, that looked mm. a lot better in my memory, but then seeing it now, you see the the stairs draw in front of you. But still, it's still an absolute quality piece. The audio on that is still genius. Mm. Yeah, it is. Because beautiful. it does sound like it's eternally going <laughs> yeah. up, which is a clever trick. Yeah, indeed. So, yeah, um, you know, seeing stuff like Super Mario 128 does make me yearn for a sequel to Mario 64. But ultimately, like, I, I'm... I'm happy this game exists exists in today's world. And like you know, if, if, when I first played it as a 15 year old, and 15 years later, it's still just as enjoyable. That that's that's good enough for me. I'm happy. So yeah, uh, I've already played Sunshine for the next podcast, and yeah, it's, well on it. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm I'm all over this. So yeah, um, yeah, definitely play Mario 64 if you haven't already. I'm, I find it hard to believe that there's not many people who haven't played it, but play Sunshine. Go on. There you go. Oh, thanks, everybody. It just remains for me, Leon Cox, to thank Tony, Darren and Carl. And next time, James Carter will be your host for the Demon's Souls issue. Until then. Bye bye. Thank you.